Welcome to episode number five of the Pilot's Journey podcast, where we discuss aviation training, proficiency, and enjoying the journey. I'm Stuart Stevenson, a.k.a. Pilot Stu, a private pilot in North Dallas. My co-host, Stuart Stowell, was not able to be with us this time, so I'll be flying solo on this one. This episode, we have a guest that is planning an amazing pilot's journey, flying a light sport aircraft to all 50 U.S. states. Michael Combs is an author, speaker, musician, entrepreneur, and within the next few weeks, a certificated sport pilot. Welcome, Michael. Hello, Stuart. How are you? Doing great. Glad you could join us. Well, thanks for having me. This is this is an honor. You've got quite the uh, the journey planned ahead of you. Uh, how did you get into that? And I guess just taking a step back from that, what was your background before you got involved in aviation, and how did you turn to aviation? Well, I, I, the only way to answer that question is to answer it sideways. Okay, so bear with me because um, that's that's the only way I could address that question. <laughs> okay, is uh, I got into aviation when I was a kid. I have always loved flight, um, and I think it's that way with a lot of us, where we're just amazed when we see a bird soaring overhead, just wondering how how that bird can fly. Uh, likewise, when I saw airplanes, it didn't matter what those airplanes were. I was just always mesmerized when they, they would fly overhead. So there wasn't one thing that really sparked me, per se. That's why I had to come into it sideways, because... It was something that has been a part of me for as long as I can remember. Now, that was further enhanced when I was so about 14 years old. A friend of mine had a neighbor who had a little Cessna Skyhawk, and he would go up every week uh, for a couple of hours. We lived in Colorado at the time, and his wife didn't like to fly at all, so... There was just an open invitation for my friend and I to go up with him. So uh, every Saturday morning, I would plan on just going up in the Cessna and flying for a few hours, and that really, really started to get me hooked. Kind of um, like heroin, I think. Yeah, yeah, a good kind of heroin for sure. Uh, heroin when you see the the clouds coming up at you out of the the window there. You know, it's just there's something about it that's just magical. Now, what happened after that is um, it was is interesting because if you were to go back to my high school uh, manual, my yearbook, you would see that I wrote, and a lot of people were were knowing that my goal in life was to be an aircraft salesman. <laughs> now that was in high school, <laughs> that never happened. But you know that just shows my dedication then that I really wanted to be involved with aviation in some way. Now, it's, it's sad, Stuart, because something happened between now when I'm finally doing it and back then when I should have been doing it all along, and it really is what plagues all of us in regard to one thing or another that we want to do with our lives, is I made excuses. I mean, I literally found every reason to not fly. Uh, it's too expensive. What am I going to do when, when I get my pilot's license? Airplanes are too expensive. Uh, on and on. On and on. And uh, it's it really is sad when I look back and look at all of that time where I could have been enjoying this and didn't. Uh, now, a few years ago, I, I had a 
pretty serious illness that really I didn't think I was going to recover from. At least that's what people were telling me. Inwardly, I knew that I would, and we can go into that if you want, where it just, I, I would not accept defeat on that, but I distinctly remember one day I was just laying there recovering and I, it just hit me that I let that dream of flying go. And it hit me like a ton of bricks just laying there on top of me. Um, because I really honestly thought that I'd never have this opportunity. And then if it was literally a few weeks after that, there was an article in Popular Mechanics that came out and it talked about the sport pilot's license. And that just gave me renewed hope. It's like the sport pilot's license was just calling to me. It's like this is just the perfect opportunity for me to get back out there. And the way they were presenting it at the time is it's a, an affordable, easy to obtain uh, certification that can be a springboard to the rest of your aviation career if you want it to be. And, uh, and so here I am. I just hung on to that, that dream and, and, uh, I drew that line in the sand. I was giving a speech actually in New York City last October and I announced it then that I was going to do this flight and we can talk about this flight. I'm sure you want to here, but, uh, that's, that was the springboard which helped me to start putting the timeline and everything else together, which I have been doing. So I'm glad to say that next week, if all goes well, I'll be uh, flying solo with my own license and uh, having a good time out there. That's terrific. You said that you announced it at a speaking engagement. Did anyone else know about it before that? Uh, <laughs> well, my wife knew about it because I had been talking with her for a few years just that I really wanted to get up there and fly. And, and my kids certainly have known about it through life. I mean, I'm, I'm so diehard, uh, towards aviation that when I would get in the car, even when they were little kids, I would, before I would turn the ignition on, I would say clear prop. <laughs> so I'm not the only one that does that. <laughs> no, no. I just yell it out, clear prop, and turn that key and start the car up, you know, so. Well, I had a chance to meet your your wife, Michelle, and I've got to ask, what was her reaction when you said, I want to fly, and then I want to fly to all 50 states? Well, that's an interesting question, Stuart, because at first, I mean, she knew that sometime I'd be flying. And at the time, she was willing to make that commitment for me in in regard to wanting to get the pilot's license herself. And then just having me go with her because we really didn't know where I was going to be health-wise or anything else. Then as I, I kept improving in my level of health, um, it was very obvious that I was going to be the one out there flying. And now, you know, the second part of your question, looking at the 50-state endeavor, I, I don't know if she's really grasped that entire scope yet, but... um I mean, it's a huge endeavor. We're looking at uh, flying 18,400 miles, uh, over 18,400 miles, I should say, uh, the way the preliminary route is laid out now. And um, she is is saying that she's going to be in that seat most of the trip, <laughs> which is great. 
Uh, so we're looking forward to both of us getting out there in the sky and just flying together. But it's interesting because she has not flown in a general aviation aircraft yet. Really? Yeah. So uh, she's had that opportunity here over the last few months to go up, but now she's waiting for me to take her up for the first time, which uh, she's going to have that that thrill. Um, so it'll be interesting just to see what her reaction is. But we're gonna we're gonna go out and get the hundred dollar hamburger and uh, and just see what she thinks. Well, you may be uh, paying for some more fly, flying lessons shortly after you're finished. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fine with me. <laughs> I'd love for her to be certified. It'd be fantastic. Well. Since you've announced this project, what kind of reaction have you gotten from the, the people you've spoken with and the, the different uh, people you've encountered and, and shared your, your idea with? Let me tell you a little bit about the project because I think that will help to answer that question. Um, when I decided to, to do the 50-state endeavor, we really didn't have a theme or a name for it or anything like that, but what really sparked me was, okay, I recovered from an illness that was something that I could have let hold me back for life, okay? But yet, if I would have done that, Stuart, the only problem is that I would not have ever flown. And likewise, there's all these other things I want to do with my life that I never would have allowed myself to have that opportunity to do. So we've named this project The Flight for the human spirit. And it's such a perfect name for this because my my entire focus is very simple. It's not flying and it's not the 50 states or anything like that. It's not the world records that I'll be setting. It's even more simple than that. It's simply to reach 20 million people with the message that it's never, ever too late to follow your dreams. Now, that being our core foundation under this project is really the wind under the wings. Because what I've found is when people hear about this project and the theme behind it, it gets them thinking about those things that they want to do with their life. And it may not necessarily be aviation-oriented. It might be that somebody wants to start a business or somebody wants to go back to school or somebody wants to write a book. Somebody wants to learn to sing. Somebody wants to learn to speak in public. Somebody wants to just plant flowers in their yard. I mean, just simple things to more complex things. It doesn't matter. But what's cool is people are, are seeing that I'm pursuing my dream and I'm encouraging other people to do it and they're getting on board. And so... That's the cool part about this project is, is we have a lot of people who are, are getting on board by the concept itself. So through aviation, we're reaching out to people who may not even be interested in getting their own pilot's license or, or going up in an airplane, but they are interested in, in this mission from the viewpoint of here's a guy who he, he's not just talking about it, like a motivational speaker that hasn't actually climbed Mount Everest or something like that. Here's a guy who's actually saying, follow me, lean on me, I'm doing this, and let's all do this together. And uh, that's that to me is just the greatest part of this entire project, is the response that I'm getting from so many other people. 
you're probably taking it a step further in that you made the announcement you were doing this in October and you didn't start flight training until several months ago. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I started in, in April. But, you know, all the while I was not, I, I was not neglecting that side of it. But for a project of this scope, it's, it's interesting on, on how to put it all together so that it's going to go off at a certain time because I put the launch date of April 4th of 2010 out there a long time ago. I mean, I put it out there back in, uh, back in October. And with that date out there, there's a lot of things that you have to do for a project of this size and scope. I mean, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to just fly into all the states and have a good time. We really want to drive this message home to people. And so, you know, to put that foundation under was huge. First, I had to to put the route together. And it's kind of funny because just looking at that empty map of the United States, saying, okay, we're going to fly into all 50 states. How are we going to do that? Where where do we start? What happens from here? And you know, it's funny just getting people's input. Um, but I, I chose to start in Salina, Kansas for two reasons. One is it's a good centrally located airport um, in the in the central part of the country, so we can really start spiraling out. And if you go to the website, you can see what the route is uh, because it's kind of a zigzag spiral thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know how to describe it. I've had people turning it sideways, so trying to see what shape it makes, things like that. <laughs> So people are welcome to do that and let me know what's, what they see for the shape of this because I've had some interesting comments on it. But uh, the second reason for Salina, Kansas, it is the same airport that Steve Fawcett took off when he did his his first round-the-world nonstop solo trip. So in honor of Steve Fawcett, I'm taking off from the same airport. And as a matter of fact, uh, on the day that I take off, April 10th of next year, uh, we're going to have a moment of silence in honor of Steve Fawcett for what he did for aviation. That's pretty impressive. Uh, he's always been one of my heroes and someone who picked up flying relatively late in life and just made the most of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I can't say that I could follow in his shoes, but I can certainly follow in his shadow and for his inspiration of the light that he's shown for the rest of us to say, you can do it. And I can I can pick up that torch and, and carry that onward to people as well. Now, you said that the flight will be about 18,400 miles or more. And one of the early projections I think I saw was that it will be about 13,000 miles. So, obviously, <laughs> you changed the route along the way. <laughs> well, and that's what I was going to tell you. Uh, when I looked at that map, you know, we were trying to figure out, okay, how many days? First of all, how many days will it take to do this? And how many miles is this going to be? So the first guess, I think, was 20 days and 12,000 miles. And uh, it, it just kept ballooning, ballooning, ballooning from there. It's just going higher and higher until finally, you know, we got to this 18,400-mile uh, mark and uh, 40 flight days. Now, flight days, let me explain that because a lot of people have that question. They know... But you can't just get in an airplane 
and fly 40 days straight without delay or without uh, falling behind in the schedule. And I completely understand that, Stuart. Um, so with that in mind, we've, we've designed the entire route so it's, it's broken by flight days. So on flight day number one, for instance, I go from Salina, Kansas, to Abilene, to Topeka, uh, to Kansas City, and then to Columbia, Missouri. That's the first day, for instance. All of that will encompass flight day one. Now, let's say I'm in Columbia, Missouri, and the weather's just horrible the next day and I can't get off the ground. Well, flight day two won't start until I actually get back up in the air and the weather permits. One thing I am doing with this flight is I'm I'm going to approach it all from a sport pilot license viewpoint. In other words, I want to make sure that everyone out there who's interested in flying can understand what they can do, that there's really no limits. You really can fly into all 50 states with a, a, a license such as a sport pilot's license, um, which is a lot of people have were naysayers in the beginning saying there's no way there's no way for instance you can um fly in Hawaii uh there's no way you can fly over the Rocky Mountains you know and people are just listing these things off you can't do this I've flown in this area in a Cessna but I know you couldn't do it in a light sport aircraft and on and on uh but once they've seen the route and saw how I put it all together it's made more sense to them uh, of course there's a lot of logistics to it but it is possible, and uh, and I'll just show everybody that you can. You can fly over the Continental Divide and not go over 10,000 feet, for instance. Well, it's interesting that the sport pilot is still a fairly new type of uh, certificate, and yes. I, I think a lot, particularly the aviators that have been uh, licensed for more than the last five or six years, don't really have a good understanding of what exactly a sport pilot is. I think there are too many legacy associations with the recreational pilot certificate, which was essentially worthless, right. um, that it really is something that is applicable to a lot of people. It's not just for people that don't want to go through the medical process or people that don't want to, quote, real license. Mm -hmm. um, it, it really is a terrific entry point. Had it, had, I think it was around when I got my certificate, but it was just brand new, and there certainly wasn't anybody in my area that had a LSA aircraft, nor the understanding of how to instruct to the LSA standards. Right. But, you know, and just to back up, because I know you have a wide range of, of people listening, as far as the basic restrictions for a light sport pilot, uh, or sport pilot license, get the terminology right here, is you can't fly over 135 miles an hour, you can only carry one passenger, the aircraft that you fly can weigh no more than 1,320 pounds. You can't fly at night, and you can't go over 10,000 feet in, in altitude. Now, those restrictions are typically ones that most pilots adhere to anyway uh, for their own personal reasons. Even though maybe you can fly up to 15,000 feet, most people don't even go up to 10. Uh, so those restrictions that they have on it, really aren't restrictions from, from my viewpoint anyway. They certainly fit most of my flying. Um, exactly. Uh, I could probably count on one hand how many times I've needed more than one additional seat. Mm -hmm. um, I rarely go over about 8,000 feet. And uh, 
uh, I, the speed maybe I've, I've been able to get faster than that on a few of them, but certainly not in a 172. Yeah, that's a good point. So I, I wish I'd had that stepping stone. It certainly would have been more exciting. Um, it, it would be a lot more fun to have a sports certificate and be able to fly uh, personal-type missions while I'm still getting training if I wanted to go on for the instrument and the private and so forth. But um, the direction I went, I was still a student pilot all the way to that private certificate, and I could have been doing all sorts of productive things before that with a sport pilot. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, productive is right. You really can. Um, it, and, I mean, for me, it's just going to be a stepping stone. I mean, obviously, after this flight, I'll have hours that I can certainly – uh, apply to further my my uh, certification, which I probably will do because we're this this won't be the end for for Michael Combs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt I've that at all. Now. <laughs> We've already talked about the flight for the human spirit in other countries, even. Um, so there's there's already that interest, you know, on a global basis for for this message getting out there uh, in in this same way and. Uh, in a light sport aircraft. So that to me is just cool when people are, are looking at it. And you know what's interesting, Stuart, is, is even before I had uh, the aircraft that I was going to fly named, um, as far as which one I had selected and, and uh, who we were going with, uh, I had different clubs contact me from around the country. And they said, for instance, when you land at this airport, we're taking off with you. And what a cool, cool thing that is because there's there's some clubs that are saying we'll have 20 to 30 planes taking off at one time when you when you take off from this airport. Uh, all just to spread that simple message that it's never, ever too late. And these are other pilots who have pursued their dreams and really want to impress that out to the world. So, uh, you know, there's going to be some great, great, memorable moments with this flight as it unfolds next year. So every flight is a formation flight and a fly-in at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you talked about the aircraft, and I guess this is time. I was lucky enough to be at the unveiling, so why don't we describe the aircraft and its name and just some of the features of what you'll be flying. Absolutely. Um, it was interesting because with this particular mission, it's not – a regional type of of a flight where at first I was thinking that's what it would be in my early days of planning this is I would go to Florida, for instance, and rent a plane and fly just the southeast part of the country, bring the plane back, go to another airport, rent and go to, you know, the eastern seaboard and then northeast part of the country and just kind of cover it that way. But as this this mission really started to unfold, I realized that I really need to have one single plane that's going to go out there because part of it is is being comfortable with what I'm flying. Two is outfitting it the way that it needs to be outfitted. And three is if I am going to have a, a plane, one single plane for this entire mission, then then that adds a whole different set of dynamics to the logistics. For instance, as you know, you can't fly internationally with a uh, sport pilot's license designation. Uh, so we would have to get it as close as we could to Alaska and then find a way to transport it from Washington to Alaska, for instance. 
And then obviously there's that, that big state of Hawaii. And I mean big by hurdles that you have to do to get an aircraft from the mainland across the Pacific Ocean to the Hawaiian Islands so you can fly it there. And I think that's one reason, obviously, why this has not been attempted before. Um, because it hasn't. I mean, no one's actually flown into all 50 states in the same plane. Uh, so when we started looking at the limitations that we, we needed, it needed to be transportable, uh, needed to have a good safety record, um, it needed to have good customer service, and uh, those were my primary three three goals, is to have, have those needs had to be met no matter what. Now, we got it down, I think there's, what, 50-some different light sport aircraft manufacturers around the world. There's almost 100 models, I think, that have been oh, standard. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, there's a lot to choose from, from features to price and on and on. And I really, I, I listed features more than price because to me, the price would take care of itself. I had to have those features or it just wasn't going to work. And one of the huge features was the transportability. And uh, on June the 27th, we unveiled the aircraft. And what I'm flying is a Remos GX model. And it is a beautiful, beautiful aircraft. And Stuart, you saw it. You can chime in. It's I'll vote for that. It was a gorgeous aircraft. It is absolutely amazing. Remos, it was interesting. Um, I contacted the CEO of Remos, and they were intrigued by this project right from the very beginning. Um, and we, Michelle and I met them at Sun and Fun here just a few months ago. And just sat down and talked with them, and and we really started putting this, what we needed together, and and how all of this would work from, from their viewpoint as as a supplier to, the project to me being the the new pilot to this project, and uh, they they jumped on board, and they didn't just jump on board. I mean, they've gone in, uh, to. The highest degree that I could even think of. For instance, they have custom striped this aircraft for us. Um, and by us, whenever you hear me say us, I mean everybody. <laughs> everybody who's involved with this project is with me on this project. So when I say they designed this for us, I'm talking to you, Stuart. <laughs> because that's what this is all about, is it's our project. Um, this to me is is your airplane as well, and I'm just going to be a good steward of this airplane as I'm flying it around for all of us, you know. Uh, but they they went through 80 different designs for striping, putting our logo on it, and and just colors and scheme and and everything else. And they involved some pretty heavy marketing people in in the process, and came down to this one. One design, which we just tweaked a little bit, um, and then they sent someone from Germany to their assembly plant in Arkansas to uh, apply the striping to this this aircraft. And then they they looked at what they would fly with, what they would want to fly with if they were going on this mission. And that's how they presented it to their team. They said, "Okay, if you were going to be in the pilot seat, what instruments do you want? What do you want on this aircraft?" Uh, for 
get to make this this huge 18,000 plus mile journey. And so I've got an amazing set of electronics in it. It's got two uh, flat screen monitors in it, some glass panels. Uh, it has autopilot. It's got a ballistic parachute, which was actually my request, but uh, they... I think Michelle might have had something to do with that one. <laughs> yeah, I think she did. Uh, it was, I mean, it's something that I really thought that obviously I'm not going to use it because most of your pilot training, as you know, is is how to get down on the ground without an engine if you need to. Um, and just going through those emergency procedures over and over and over again. But I'm going to be exposing a lot of people to aviation who haven't really even had the opportunity to sit in an airplane. For instance, I've been invited to speak at a, a young entrepreneurs conference in North Carolina this September, and there's kids there who have published their own books at 15 and 16 years old, for instance, but they haven't sat in an airplane before. And so we're going to take this airplane and set it up in the parking lot of the Great Wolf Lodge and let them just come in and sit in it. And, and I'll just talk to them for a few hours on what it's what you need to do to... to put your dreams together. But you know, one thing about that, especially when you have media people and people who are, are not used to general aviation aircraft, is they, the number one concern is safety, of course, and, and just knowing that there's a parachute in it or the parachutes are available, even for small airplanes like this, adds a whole different dynamic to the industry, in, in my opinion anyway, uh, where it's it's not a matter of, of plane spiraling out of the sky left and right. If a wing falls off, it's no big deal. You pull this lever and you can safely get back to the ground. You know, and of course that's the worst case scenario. Uh, so you know, really emphasizing the importance that these are are much more safer than the general public uh, conceives it to be. Uh, it was a huge part for for uh, the configuration from my viewpoint. Um, it has leather seats on it. I'm calling it the jewel of the light sport aircraft industry, and uh, it really is. I mean, it is a beautiful, beautiful aircraft in every way. And it has an MP3 input. <laughs> yeah, MP3, uh, XM uh, radio, and XM weather. Uh, I was in a situation just last week where we were flying in after just uh, an hour of, of practice. I could see the airport. It was it was just 10 miles away. I could see the airport. The weather had been absolutely calm, not a cloud in the sky except for one that was, oh, about 20, 25 miles away. And called the tower just to let them know we're coming in, and they informed me that there was a 30-knot crosswind at the airport at that time. Not not any warning whatsoever that something like that was going on. Um, and just about that time, the wind caught that propeller, and I just heard it go. <laughs> it was it was a wild experience. So, got to uh, turn that baby around and and uh, head off to a different airport. But the nice part is, Stuart, is it had XM weather in it. I was able just to see what the winds were doing at certain altitudes, where the cell was, what was uh, causing the trouble, uh, when it was okay to take off. It had all the METARs in it. Uh, for any airport around the area, so we knew exactly what what to expect, no matter where we were going. 
great, great feature when you're looking at a mission of this size. Uh, just uh, to be able to plan uh, with current weather is huge because uh, a four-hour trip, can, the weather can change on you pretty quickly. And uh, if you're just in the air with no uh, ground length, then it may surprise you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, to me, to have that type of capability in a light sport aircraft is is it's a great day and age that we live in. That's all I can say because <laughs> it's nice. You can fly along and you can hear classical music or whatever in the in the headsets and uh, uh, check the weather ahead of time. And oh, it's just fantastic. I noticed you had several camera mounts in there, so I assume you'll be uh, broadcasting or recording uh, segments of your flight for your your website so that we can all keep track of it. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, it's really in two different phases. One is to document what it takes to get a pilot's license, um, just what ground maneuvers are and what it's like to bounce an airplane on a runway when you're coming in wrong and on and on, just just so people can see that. So I, after I get certified here, I'm going to uh, finish putting these together and, and start posting more and more of them on YouTube. Uh, but likewise, it's for the sake of documenting the, the entire mission. And that's really the second part of this is um, just showing people what it took to put this together because it's not a cakewalk. You can't say that, okay, I want to fly and I'm going to fly into all 50 states and I'm just going to pick a date and I'm just going to do it and just think that everything's just going to fall together hunky-dory and not have any problems because, uh, of course, the first obstacles are, are the people who are questioning whether I'm actually going to do this or not. And I'm used to do it. I'm used to that through my life. I always have these crazy ideas and yeah, people laugh at me at first and then they realize he's serious. <laughs> and then a year later they're like, well, how was it? <laughs> so I'm kind of used to that for just my, uh, my, uh, MO of life here. But we're, we're going to put together a video series of, of this project. Um, so we've got HD cameras that we've put into the aircraft. We've tried different cameras. In addition to that, uh, a bullet cam that actually mounts outside, um, some widescreen variations. I mean, there's just a, a lot of different things that we're just trying and, and seeing what the right configuration is to document the actual mission when I take off next year. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing the videos. It's pretty cool. Let me tell you, it's uh, the, that HD camera we've got in there has been absolutely incredible. And the uh, we've even got a sponsor, Delkin Industries, has sponsored the mount for it because uh, they were so excited about being a part of this project. And really, it's interesting. A lot of the sponsors, once they heard about it, they're just right on board. Well, it seems like a natural fit. Just everything that we can do to inc increase the uh, number of, of people coming into aviation uh, is a help for everybody in the industry. So I think they would want to jump on board as quickly as possible. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. As you're going through the trip uh, and planning each stop along the way, um, are you trying to have any local activities or uh, participation on those individual stops? Absolutely. Um, keep in mind, my core goal is to reach 20 million people. And one thing that we're doing is is we're involving people at each one of these stops. Now, I've got 134 scheduled airports that I'll be landing in. 
And then in addition to that, we've got some promotional and maintenance days where, of course, the aircraft can't fly that far without getting its oil changed or, you know, having uh, certain checkups and things like that. We're going to do everything before we take off and, of course, get its uh, uh, annual done and everything before we take off, of course. But you just can't fly that far without anticipating that it's going to need maintenance and things like that. So along the way, we're building promotional days into the project, Stuart. So, uh, for instance, um, we'll, we'll take it to New York City and put it on the trailer and put it in uh, Rockefeller Center, for instance, and have it on the Today Show when I land in New York City. Um, I mean, there's we've got all of these things planned out ahead of time, which is... Uh, What's going to help us to reach that 20 million people mark? Now, the average stop that we'll have are going to be just normal sponsors that we're driving customers to uh, because the customers are coming because of this project and they just want to be a part of history to see this airplane when it comes in for the hour or two that we're on the ground. Uh, so each stop will be a celebration, the way I look at it anyway, where there, there can be food, there can be music. Um, I'll be there just to address the media, talk to some people, thank the sponsors, um, and then off we go to the next one after that. So it's, and likewise, we've got a whole another uh, facet of this project for school children where, uh, for several of the states, because obviously taking off in April, we can't continue that on into the summer. As I'm flying, because I, I think that I should be finished around uh, mid to late June, depending on the weather. Yeah, uh, but we're going to have uh, school projects where the kids go through a two-week uh, curriculum, but they can define what their dream is in life, and then how they're going to get there and start learning what those steps are that they have to take in order to make that dream come true, no matter what it is. And of course. The human interest side of those kids and their dreams, and then they come to the airport to see the plane land. And uh, we've even got a, a a plan where all of their dreams that they've they've got, they'll put in an envelope and give to me. I take that on board with me and fly that to the next stop and give that to kids at the next next stop that we've got, and we just keep that chain of those dreams going. Uh, from Salina, Kansas onward to uh, somewhere in the southeast part of the country, and that's what I need to uh, to finalize is just how far we can go with that that school part of the project. Uh, anyway, that's just, a, to me, another great great aspect of this entire flight. Now, why isn't dream identification part of every core curriculum? Because, you know what, we've lost that. Um and by we, I mean most of us in Western civilization have lost that. I lost it, and so many other people I've talked to have lost it. Uh, and it's a, and so it's a matter of just sparking those dreams back, Stuart. And I'm glad you asked that question because to me that is so important for each one of us just to look inside and say, what is it that I really want to do with my life so that I can say, when I draw my last breath, that I lived my life with no regrets. And that to me is just, if I can have some small part of just sparking somebody to just think for a moment, 
even somebody listening to this podcast to think, what is it that I want to do with my life? It might be to buy a boat. It might be to travel. It might be a number of different things. And just to, to start taking those steps to, to making that happen in their life. Uh, that, to me, is the greatest part of the flight for the human spirit. Well, it certainly captures the, the title. It does. It really does. <laughs> now, you mentioned a little bit about portability with the Remos GX, and the, the big question I had when I first heard about the mission was, how are you going to get that plane to Hawaii? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, transportability, as I mentioned, was a huge reason why we chose the Remos. Um, being able to take it off-site, as I mentioned before, where we can land in an airport and take it to someplace else is is huge to me. But then, of course, we've got Alaska, so we trailer it up from uh, Washington to Alaska and then fly there. Uh, but then, after that, we are going to trailer it back down to Long Beach and put it onto a shipping container, because obviously the, the range of, of this plane was not near what it would need to be to fly across the Pacific there to, to land in Hawaii. Nor, I don't, I don't, I know I wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of water. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, but maybe with enough fuel, I, you know, if someone could convince me there's enough fuel and I did some tests over land, I, I would probably consider it, but we're, we're not going to go into that for this project. That's for sure. Uh, but we'll put it on a shipping container and then ship it from Long Beach to Honolulu. Uh, where we'll be able to just unpack it, uh, test it out, make sure that everything's good, and then uh, do our final final few legs on the Hawaiian Islands, which is a thrill which I cannot wait to experience. What better place to, to wrap it up? Exactly. And that's one reason why we, we chose Hawaii to end with, is uh, uh, just for that reason, is it's it's a perfect setting. Now, all of this is a, a pretty ambitious undertaking in the natural question is, how is it getting paid for? <laughs> well, there is uh, there is a tremendous amount of outreach when the time is right. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it were up to me, it would be uh, we'd have one sponsor on board for X dollars, whatever that would be, and and you know it would be a much easier uh, process to go through. <laughs> but you know. Part of the human spirit side of this is just being able to uh, to to have that faith and hope that things are going to happen at the right time, and they have, and they are continuing to. But to answer your question directly, we've had some of the greatest sponsors step on board, Remos being one of them, for instance. When they heard about it, they're like, you've got it. I, and I, I told them flat out over dinner that my... My conviction for this project was such that if it's on April the 3rd and I don't have an airplane, I'm going to just get in an ultralight and I'm going to make this journey happen. Uh, and that's who I am. That's just how I work. It's like <laughs> nothing is going to stop me from making this happen. And, you know, when they saw that type of conviction, uh, I'll never forget. The, he looked me in the face and he's like, you don't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> So Remo stepped on board, as, as I mentioned, and we've had a number of other sponsors jump on. Uh, right now, we're in the process of just starting to get sponsors for each one of these cities. And the nice part with this project now, Stuart, is that we we really don't need a lot of, of huge operating capital. Um, and that's that's the best part with it, 
is, you know, we've got our core foundation underneath our, our feet here. And now we can make this happen on a cooperative basis. When I, I do a lot of speaking. And one thing that I love to speak about is the difference between cooperation and competition. No matter what it is in your life, you've got to make sure that you're cooperating with the world around you. Now, in the business world, that's huge. You can't compete in this marketplace, uh, especially with the state of the economy the way it is right now. You're better off cooperating with the marketplace rather than competing against it. Now, with that in mind, we're working with sponsors in different cities, uh, 134 different stops, actually, where for less than $1,000 of their sponsorship money, we're making it a cooperative basis where we're going to drive customers to them through this flight. And so that's that's how it's starting to shape shape up now from uh, the next next phase of this project to where the money will come from is the investment for somebody to be a part of this is real. And it's not something that's out of reach for anybody to make. And uh, like I said, the money's been there when we've needed it to be. And uh, uh, that's been the coolest part. We have different opportunities for people to just donate. Uh, they can sponsor a leg um, or they could sponsor a day, or you know, we could have that big, big one step up, and I know we will, because somebody's going to get a hold of this project and say, "I really want to be a part of this in a big way." Because in order for this to be pulled off the right way, the way I envision it on on any given flight day is someone can go to our website and be able to see where I am at any given moment, and likewise, we'll have scheduled interviews. Uh, so kids in these schools, for instance, will be able to talk to me as I just took off from Minneapolis, for instance, and get to see me in the plane talking to them live. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of lot of great things that we've got that we just need to have the funding at the right time or the resources at the right time uh, in order to put all of that together, which I have no doubt in my mind that it's going to happen. Not one. One of the sponsorship opportunities that caught my eye was you're also offering the opportunity for people to fly along on, on a leg and be your co-pilot. Is that, is that true? Yes. And you know what? Let me clarify that. It's not even a sponsorship. Uh, the cool part is, since this is a flight for everybody, I've had people just say, when you go to Key West, for instance, was I think the first one that I had volunteer, <laughs> where he just said, when you go to Key West, I want to fly with you. And, you know, that was, it was just cool that... People are, are saying, when you come to my city, I want to be a part of this. And there's no charge for that. Uh, that's the cool part is, is some of these legs are available for anybody to just step up and say, I want to be a part of an historic flight. And if, if you can see a way clear here, then, uh, throw my name in the hat and, uh, Typically, it's more than that, where it's like, okay, let me check the schedule, get back with you, and nope, that one's open. It's yours, and there's no cost or anything to that. So it's not uh, being reserved for sponsors or anybody. It's being reserved for anyone that wants to be a part of this flight, anyone that wants to just go up and fly 100 miles or 400 miles in this historic aircraft and uh, uh, just just to be a part of this. And I think that's... 
I tell you, that's what gives me goosebumps is when I start thinking of that aspect of of what we can do to light up hearts with this airplane. Well, put me down for at least one leg. Okay, you got it. <laughs> you uh, you let me know where, and uh, and you got it. You're definitely going. Well, what are some of the other things you need uh, in order to complete planning and get the, the the financial backing or the materials backing or the services backing that you need? Okay, we've got the aircraft. We've got the hangar facility. We've got uh, mission control. Um, we're going to announce within the next few weeks, but we've got an organization that has stepped up to handle mission control for us, um, which has been a huge key point to me that because obviously those are the people that I'm going to be relying on. Uh, yeah, I can have all of this equipment and I can have this amazing aircraft, but still, as I saw last Wednesday, when the weather hits unexpectedly, it can be a very, very lonely place up there. And anybody that's been flying for a while could tell you that, you know, from one experience that they've had or another. Uh, so to have mission control there who's going to be able to handle uh, all the aspects of communication and things is huge. Uh, but immediate needs that we've got are a truck and a trailer. We need a 26-foot trailer uh, in order to transport this in and a truck for our ground crew so I can take it around the country and show it to people ahead of time. Uh, so they can follow with me to take it from the airport in New York to the uh, the front of Rockefeller Center, for instance, uh, and on and on. Uh, of course, anybody that wants to sponsor their city, most of those cities are wide open right now. So if you just go on online and say, I live in Kansas City or I live in St. Louis or I live in Evansville, Indiana or wherever it might be, and uh, I want to be a part of this. We'll we'll bring people to you, and uh, and the cost again is not going to be that large for you to to be a part of this. So that I mean, capital, working capital is huge for me to have the funds that I need to go out and and promote this project the way it needs to be promoted. And uh, I mean, I I love to speak. I'm going to be speaking four times at AirVenture, and. Uh, I, I love to just get up in front of people and, and get them lit up on, on looking at what they can do with their lives. And, it, and uh, you know, obviously for me to have the capital to do that is, is big because I've put everything on my life on hold for this project now. Um, I was doing personal coaching for business and in, businesses and individuals. And, you know, obviously this is a huge project that, I can't turn my back on and say, okay, this, this has to be on the back burner. So I've put everything I can into this project now as of uh, a few months ago. And, you know, it's, it's going to happen. The right people will be there at the right time. How can people get in touch with you either to, uh, if they are interested in a sponsorship or a ride along or if they just want to follow the, the mission? There's several ways. Um, Go to my website, first of all, and that is www.flighths.com. That's obviously flight for the human spirit, so it's www.flighths.com. Uh, my email address is media at flighths.com. And uh, thank People can write me and just let me know what they think of the project or, or they can uh, go on the website and, and see what our list of, of 
needs are that we still need to have. Um, I have a podcast I put out every week um, that actually is very interesting. I mean, it is literally reaching around the world. Um, one of the strongest countries we just had come on board has been Australia. Uh, we've got a lot of people in Australia following this flight. Um, it's just fascinating to me. But the podcast, there's a link from our website, uh, but you can also go to uh, combs.podomatic.com. But again, there's there's links on the website for that. And then lastly are the YouTube videos. Um, if you want to see the aircraft, there's pictures there. If you want to see the aircraft in flight, we have the videos on YouTube. And the YouTube channel is going to just get bigger and bigger in the weeks to come. After I get back from my travels here, I'll, I'll start posting a lot of videos on there. And that channel that you can subscribe to is Flight for Human Spirit. And that's the number four. Flight for Human Spirit on YouTube. And, of course, we have a Facebook page, which is the Flight for the Human Spirit. They can go to that group and sign up. And then, of course, I Twitter. <laughs> Stuart, do you Twitter? I tweet. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, do you tweet? <laughs> I still don't have the the vocabulary right. But, yeah, I, uh, we have a Twitter feed on our website. I I have some tweet followers as well. So, <laughs> so I'm out there as much as I can possibly be. And you also mentioned you're speaking at AirVenture. Uh, do you know the, the days on that by chance? Uh, you know, it's Thursday twice on Friday. Friday and once on Saturday afternoon. Um, yeah, I don't have the specific times right here in front of me, but if you go to uh, airventure2009.org slash schedule, I think is what it is, then uh, they have all the speakers on there. Well, great. I'll definitely be attending some of those. Yeah, but anybody going to uh, AirVenture, stop in at the Remos booth, and you'll be able to see this aircraft. Um, we're going to have it there. It's a featured aircraft at the air show, and uh, you'll be able to, to look at it uh, when I'm there. I'll have it open. You can sit in it, and we can talk about uh, how it's configured. And uh, it's It really is quite the aircraft to see. It's just an amazing, amazing machine. Unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, and part of that is because we've got a lot of wax on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and most important, and the name of the aircraft is? The name of the aircraft is Hope One, and that's O-N-E. During our mission, it will only be referred to as Hope One. Um, mission Control will call it Hope One. And uh, I, I named it Hope One, Stuart, for the simple reason is is just as I've been talking about, is I want people to see this aircraft and have their own level of hope become inspired within them. And to me, there's just no other name for an aircraft, Hope One Flying for the Flight for the Human Spirit, uh, was just perfect. And our hope uh, in the future is to have Hope Two and Hope Three that fly around to different countries. And it will just kind of keep this chain going. Because this this aircraft will be retired after after I'm done promoting the flight and and talking about it. it sounds like Australia may have dibs on Hope too. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I would do that one in a heartbeat. I think that would be fun. Well, Michael, I sure appreciate you joining us, and uh, we're definitely behind the, the mission, and we'll do everything we can to promote and make sure people are aware of it and uh, turn out to the various stops along the way. 
Well, Stuart, I really, really appreciate it. And I can't thank you enough for, for your, uh, stepping up here and, and asking me to be on this. I, anytime anyone wants to talk about this, whether it's on newspaper and podcasts or, uh, websites or on blogs, I am completely thankful for, for them doing that. So my humble and, and most hearty thanks go to both of you for, uh, for having me speak about this and getting the word out. Well, we'll definitely have you back uh, probably at least one or two more times before next April. And more and, than happy to. And we'll check progress and just keep track of the, the whole mission. That sounds great. Well, and thanks again. Anything I can do for you or anyone out there, just let me know. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you so much. You take care. All right, thanks. You bet. Bye, Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Pilot's Journey podcast. We'd love to hear your questions, suggestions, or experiences. And you can reach us at our website, www.pilotsjourneypodcast.com. Or you can leave us voicemail at 469-277-2359. You can also follow me as Pilot Stu, that's S-T-U, on Twitter or MyTransponder.com. You can reach me on Twitter, MyTransponder.com as well, at CFI Stu, that's S-T-E-W. And until next time, go fly and enjoy the journey. Please note that this podcast is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your own qualified flight instructor before attempting anything discussed in this podcast. Copyright 2009, Fully Stewed Productions.